Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venue Land, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. And today we are adding a new state to our adventures as we head out to Iowa to meet with Tammy Kulbeck. She's the executive director of Stevens Auditorium and the uh, past chair of IEVM, leading advocacy efforts there, doing some great stuff. Tammy, great to have you here on the podcast. Happy to be here. And um, I'm actually not in Iowa right now. I'm on a 19-day national park road trip with my son. So I'm sitting in Arizona and uh, hanging out with some EAMC friends uh, while I'm down here. <laughs> you know, uh, you are a big world traveler. You have some some unique goals that you're traveling to, some places you hit, and, and you know, you've, you've been to visit here in Columbus, and I think you've visited a lot of industry folks all across the country. What is it about traveling that, that you love so much? Traveling, you know, planning family vacations is really, if I don't have one to look forward to, it's really hard for me to get through my day and my week. You know, that's kind of like my, my reward for all the work, you know, for the work that I do. Right. So I uh, love our family vacations. I love to travel. So I've been uh, fortunate enough in my career. uh, Once I got into uh, venue management, well, even before venue management, which we'll talk about my history, my work history in a little bit, but I like to fly. I did like to fly. I haven't flown since the pandemic, which is the longest off of a plane since probably, uh, you know, the late 80s. So we're driving everywhere. And uh, yeah, I mean, I saw Paul in August. So the pandemic had a bit of a silver lining. Um, If there could be one, I was furloughed in the fall for um, two weeks in August and two weeks in October. And my son had lost his job. He was uh, a sous chef at a convention center. So we took the opportunity to jump in the car. And our August trip took us east. And um, I saw Paul Hooper. He was our first stop. We were doing a barbecue run. That's right. the bar high on that trip right there. That's right. Right. That's right. Um, We saw a rainbow on the way to see Paul. I mean, it, it all seemed very, you know, over a horse farm. It seemed all very Kentuckian. Welcome to Kentucky, right? Welcome yeah. to Kentucky. I do feel yeah. like you have, like you mentioned, that was back in August, with which both feels like yesterday and 10 years ago <laughs> at the same time. But uh, I feel like you've really, you and Ty, your son, you know, really took advantage of the downtime. You know, many of us have kind of been like stuck at home trying to figure out what to do. We're working on home projects. And I think you having that enjoyment for travel you really leaned into that and like you said have taken these long road trips and you do you know daily updates on Facebook you know day 29 we've done this many miles I'm in this state I've seen and I think over the years one of the great things about this you know amazing industry is that you do collect all these contacts that you know some of them even leave the industry some of them are still in it and they go from building to building or roll to roll but you kind of are able to 
you know, have this network of people in almost every city across the entire country. And that's just for me. And I've only been in it for, you know, a little over 10 years and you've been in it longer than that. So it's, it's kind of an amazing thing where you could kind of, I'm sure just play connect the dots and visit with people and have barbecue every stop along the way. That, that is exactly what EAMC is. It's about making those connections. And you're right. I mean, I, my first EMC was 1996. My son plans the national parks uh, that we go to um, and the things he wants to see. And then I say, okay, we're, we're going to stay overnight in Lexington because I know Paul. We're going to stay overnight in Charlotte. I'll see Don Murray. We're going to try to make it to Raleigh to see these people, which Raleigh we couldn't work out. But we drove through Columbia, South Carolina, and that was an IEDM friend there. And that's how this trip was, too. He figured it out. But you're right. Those connections and even if you're not fortunate enough to be able to right now uh, travel around and see, see people, those connections really make a difference. In fact, a, a case in point, Glenn Mickelson, Hall of Fame winner in 2019, lost his job during the pandemic, just found a job in the city of Cranbrook, BC. And he texted me last week, our I think I picked it up maybe when we came out of, we were in national parks. So when we came out of the abyss, the black hole, right, right. Um, I had an email from him about, do we know anybody at the Milwaukee box in Milwaukee? Because the box is the home of his minor league hockey team. And he wants to right. talk to somebody about, you know, playing off the Bucks name and there's the Milwaukee box. So I sent him Paul B's information, <laughs> right? I there mean, you go. yeah. And that just happened this week, right? And that happens a lot, right? I remember Vanessa calling me when Nederlander moved to some new markets. And there were some in the Midwest. And so she was calling me to say, hey, do you know somebody at this building? You know, I mean, there's just so much of that. And that's what I really love about this organization specifically is that we are so open. And sometimes I think now that I'm, a, I mean, I'm a, I've been a general manager, executive director now for a while and always kept marketing. I mean, I've always done some marketing along the way, except probably at this last job until the pandemic. And now I don't have a marketing director or marketing manager. I'm a marketing coordinator and I'll be hopefully, you know, we're training her along now that we're getting more events. But I think at, at EAMC, we're able to share a little bit more with each other. There's, there's not that yeah. need to worry about talking deal points that you maybe couldn't talk to another venue manager about. But at, at the marketing piece, we can share that information because a lot of it's, yeah. you know, we're just, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. We just need to put the spin on the idea that works in our markets. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think, I think there isn't a lot of competition between buildings because we're all, I think we realize, especially on the marketing side, like you said, you know, booking, there's a lot more competition, but on the marketing side, it's all kind of like rising tide raises all ships. And so we should keep the industry healthy. We should raise it up, which obviously EAMC is a big part of and part of our mission, but you know, that's why we're all open books on sharing ideas because I want those other markets to do well. I want that tour to do well. I want it to do well in my city. So I'm going to hear their ideas, but it's, you're right. It's, it's all very open dialogue, which I think is one of the beautiful things. Yeah. I mean, I remember we um, lost show to uh, snow. We had a horrible ice storm with 70 car, 70 car pileups in two places in the state. (laughs) 
with, with death. I mean, people die. And in one of them, a tour bus was involved. And the news got it wrong. The news got it wrong where the, which accident, which 70 car pileup on I-35 and I-80 that the tour bus was involved in. And we had been being told all day, the sh- you know, the show had loaded in. All day we had been told, show's going to go on, tour bus is on the way, show's going to go on. Well, three o'clock, tour bus involved in the 70 car pileup, um, went off the road, minor injuries, you know, everybody had to go get checked out at the hospital, but the VIP experience started at 4.30. Well, it happened at three, we didn't get word, the promoter was on a plane coming in, so he was getting the messages, I think, from the tour. We were over checking, but nobody could really talk to each other. So then when the story breaks, it breaks wrong. It breaks that it happened in a 70-car pileup three miles from our building at 11 a.m. And people are mad. They thought we'd been setting on this news all day. And we had people, this was a big enough show that we had people coming from Minnesota and Missouri and Nebraska. And the publicist, I mean, I sent an impassioned email to the publicist saying, I want to correct the story. I can't have the story out this way. I, I mean, I need to correct it. And she basically said, this is not, I mean, people can be mean to you, but this does not mean anything to the, you know, the greater world. I remember calling Vanessa going, do you know this person? Because there is, <laughs> this, I mean, does she not understand what kind of market we work in? I am not LA. Right. I am not Chicago. I am Ames, Iowa. And I'm, right. of course, you know, compounded to all that. Um, I was sitting at home with a broken leg and couldn't do anything. I mean, right. that's when I broke my leg and I was stuck at home and I was the one monitoring all the social media while the staff was trying to deal with stuff that was, you know, there. Everyone on this call knows do not monitor, monitor social media every minute of every day because it will drive you crazy. <laughs> it's not it fun. Will. No, it's stressful too, especially I've had it a couple times where I had to do it and I was not at the building. And it is more stressful because then you feel like you're seeing it happen behind a glass pane and you have no control to help. You know, everyone is instinctively wanting to jump in and be like, all right, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do to fix it? And when you're at home, because, you know, some big events going on, it's like, you're just like, uh, like you feel like you're being held back. You know, it's crazy. Right. Yeah. So Vanessa really helped to talk me off the edge on that one. <laughs> I was just like, I, and she gave me a couple pointers because I didn't want, I mean, we could be t- doing tours again and this publicist, you know, I could be working with her again. So, you know, I didn't want to, you know, in the heat of the moment, damage a relationship, right. That may or may not ever happen again. I mean, you know, but we got through it, but I mean, trigger point, I mean, February 5th, pretty much every year since then, I, I mean, we all as a staff take a moment and, you know, just be together and remember how stressful that day was. Right. Tammy, you know, you've mentioned uh, Vanessa a couple of times, and that's Vanessa Cromer, who has been a previous guest here on our podcast, and uh, Paul B., who was on our, our most, uh, one of our most recent episodes as well with when we announced EAMC Virtual. You know, you are living proof that it doesn't matter if you're in New York or Chicago. Where you are, you can be as connected as you want to be. So let me, let me take you back to 1996, I think you said it was, uh, which will be 25 years ago. Sorry, it's my wedding anniversary too, right? That's why I know. But 25 years ago, it's your very first EAMC, Event Arena Marketing Conference. 
and you're walking in the door and I'm guessing you only know a couple people. So how did you get to be from where you are then to somebody who was, you know, uh, a chair of the board for IAVM? So that, I mean, I, I know that's a, that's a big question, a long journey, but take me back to the Genesis, that very first time that you came to that conference and how you started making those connections. Uh, well, my first conference was Vegas and Cliff Klinger was the host that year. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that I came into the industry, well, uh, with Ogden Entertainment. So some of you, none of you younger people will know who Ogden Entertainment was. <laughs> it was a management company that was one of the big management companies in the 80s and 90s. And eventually in 2000, got purchased by SMG. And so, I mean, Ogden ran the World Trade Center restaurant. They were Ogden Allied Services, so they had uh, food and beverage contact, food and beverage contract as well, and did a lot of airline food actually. And then they had an entertainment division. They actually had had money in uh, the Pond at Anaheim, which is now not the Pond, um, and yeah. Ottawa, and had a had a lot of Midwest buildings. So they at that point had Cedar Rapids, which is where I was working. I came into the industry at Cedar Rapids. Iowa at the then Five Seasons Center and the historic Paramount Theater. But they had Ames and Sioux Falls and Lincoln, and Minneapolis, Target Center. And so we had pre-meetings. And I would tell you that if that kind of Ogden family that I met those first days and the small markets that I was interacting with, um, I think my life in EAMC might have been a little bit different. And Hank Salemi was uh, working for Ogden Corporate then, and he was serving on what was then they would have called their planning committee, their organizing right. committee. And so I came in and, and uh, we had great Ogden meetings right before it. And I came in as a, I was old. I mean, I was in my mid thirties before I found this career. My career tra trajectory had, I changed jobs every year, my first year out of college until I got to the hotel business. So, so those were like a foreign communications company. And then I went to work for general growth malls as a marketing assistant. And so I had my first kind of marketing job. And then I went to work for the um, uh, Cedar Rapids convention and visitors bureau as a sales manager. And so that kind of started my, my odyssey with the arena in <laughs> Cedar Rapids. And I worked a year there and then I moved across the hallway and started working for the Cedar Rapids Silver Bullets, which at that time was a CBA team, uh, basketball mm -hmm. team, which is the precursor to the NBA G League. So minor league sports, which is where I happened to meet my sports writer husband. I was working stat crew. And then uh, we started dating and the general manager of the basketball team didn't like that. Uh, so... Oh. I, oh, yeah, I can see that. You don't want the person that's doing stats colluding with the uh, press, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then I went to work in the hotel business. And so all along, so the, at the CVB job, I was selling the arena because there were two hotels attached to it. So I was selling that complex as a young sales manager. And then I went to work for the basketball team and the basketball team played in that building. So I was very involved there. And then I went to work for the hotel that was connected to the arena. So I worked very closely with the arena staff. And so I was there five years and kind of really found my footing, at least on the sales side and, and a job I liked. Well, then I got married while I was there and then Tyler came along, our son. And I had a two-year-old and I couldn't work. The hours were horrible. I couldn't work in the hotel industry anymore. 
And I, I remember going down the escalator to talk to Chris Warner, who was the, uh, who's with the Blackhawks now, but he was the assistant GM at the time. And I said, Hey, I have a chance to go back to the convention visitors bureau, or um, I have a chance to look at the executive director position at Big Brothers Big Sisters, which was a, an organization I was very involved in when I left college. Um, I was a big for a number of years and served on their board. And I was like, you know, I could go nonprofit. I, you know, I, I come from a background of, you know, I went to Mount Mercy where, you know, service is very much a part of your education. I grew up in a, in a household where we, you know, felt that that was an important part of family life. So I really thought, you know, maybe I could, could go to the nonprofit world and, uh, Two hours later, he asked me to come back down to his office, and he had an offer for me to be the director of marketing at the mm. Center. And I know everyone on this call will find it hard to believe, but I had better hours working as a young mother in venue management than I did in hotel. Because hotels have an 8 a.m. rev car meeting every weekday, and my market was, was Smurf groups, so I was doing a lot of weekend work and late night work. It wasn't any fun. I mean, I just wasn't yeah. having And the beauty of at least the arena side and the theater side, probably not the convention center side of our industry, is that nobody likes eight o'clock in the morning. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, nobody really likes that. So I had more flexibility. <laughs> and some of it is the people you work for, right? I mean, I was working for people that. Uh, you know, if I had to run out, if Mike and I were trying to do the switch, because Mike was still a sports writer, so his day usually started at 4 p.m., you know, and went until midnight. So there were times when we would have to do the switch of the kid, either get tied to a babysitter or bring him in for a couple hours or get him to grandma's, you know, something. So they were always, you know, we were always very flexible. I mean, for a while, his name was Popcorn Head because he'd come to work and the concession guy would put a popcorn tub on his head and he'd just run around the building. Right, and so for me to go home. That's that's a good transition into his uh, his job as a sous chef. You know, it yes. all started as popcorn head. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so back to so ninety six. I start in October of ninety five, and ninety six is the first EAMC. And Ogden again is very supportive of the conference. They're sending all of their marketing people to have meetings before the big meeting. So my introduction was, I mean, I met, again, lifelong friends in those Ogden meetings and then went to the big meetings, right? And when I left, had some, you know, amazing experiences. My, my first Vegas show that was, well, it was my first time to Vegas. And then one of our night activities was at Bali's and it was a show. And I don't think Cliff realized uh, until he got the tickets either the morning of the show that it said no one under 18 admitted and what that uh -oh. meant. Uh-oh, in Vegas. I wonder what that could be for. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I spent a lot of time staring at the big headdresses they wore and perhaps other things that weren't <laughs> as covered up as their head. And yeah, so, you know, it's kind of a bonding experience. That was, you know, sure. A little bit of nudity among friends. I mean. It's part right? of the Vegas experience. Right, right. So I came home from that um, conference and talked to my boss and actually talked to Hank. And I really felt like they were not, um, if I hadn't gone to the Ogden meetings, I really thought small markets had not been addressed. All the speakers were, were from big buildings. 
big markets. And a lot of it, you know, I mean, all ideas can work on different levels, right? But, but I really thought that there should be some more small market content because our struggles are a little bit different. Um, whereas, you know, Staples Center may have a $50,000 budget. We really have a $5,000 budget, right? And, and you know, right. and I understand that, Mark, you know, they pay a lot more for media. But again, it's just different, right? Sure. Yeah. And so I said to Hank, you know, hey, you know, as you're planning for next year, I'd really like, it would be really great to have some small market. You know, they send out the survey. It's like more small market, you know, and I had some specific examples. And, you know, a month later, Hank calls and says, hey, I'm stepping away from the organizing committee and Ogden needs a representative and we'd like for it to be you. So I joined the planning committee almost right away and helped start planning the 97 conference in Phoenix. Which was, I believe, Vanessa's first conference. It was. It was, it, was, it was Vanessa's. Brandon's, Cindy? Cindy's, yes. There were a yeah. lot of 97ers that are still yeah. involved today. Might have been Suzanne's too. Hashtag the lazy river for yes. those that attended. I obviously wasn't there, but I've heard many stories. Right. <laughs> well, what were you doing in 1997? Oh boy. I was, <laughs> I was 11. You, uh, you know, just uh, meandering my way through middle school. All right. All the right. Lord knows what music. <laughs> No, but that's why I like to hear these stories of the early days of, of this and kind of how it built. And so so you joined and immediately got, got more involved probably than you expected to get when you started. It did. and uh, But again, very welcoming. And I think maybe on that first committee meeting I went to, I mean, the Titans were there. It was, it was maybe the second generation of, you know, so by that time they would have been, you know, 1980. So they were... It was 97, so they were kind of in their second decade. It, it, it kind of seems like, you know, sometimes the um, leadership has, you know, moved, you know, kind of in decades, right? But Karen Swan was still sure. there, and many of you know Karen Swan today, right? Oh, yeah. So, um, so you know, it was uh, Tim from Cleveland and uh, Ike from Philly, and then Hillary and Edie and Sydney um, and Sonny. And uh, I think really the second smallest market in that room was probably Cleveland. Rich Oriolo was there and he was doing Big Apple or uh, Circus right then. Big, yeah, I think it was Big Apple Circus. But, you know, they were very welcoming and uh, open to listening to kind of do. So we actually, I don't know if it was, I think in 97, we started a small market track. Um, at that point, we were still really a lot of just marketing and group sales, some PR but not really events, you know, but definitely groups and marketing. Uh, as we got more into it, we, we realized that in Cliff's year, they, 96, I think was the first year they hit, they had gone over 300 and it was like 350 for the conference. So it was getting bigger and it was a rather big jump if, if my memory serves me correctly. You know, they had been kind of coasting along maybe at 150, 175, and it pretty much doubled I think in in Vegas and so then and and all along in those early years whoever was hosting it was taking responsibility for the money meaning that if the conference lost money the building ate it if the conference made money which the goal was never to make you know a whole lot of money it was to break even I I think that they passed along any surplus maybe to the next year but by 
the nineties we were making, you know, and I mean, you know, we were talking maybe a couple thousand dollars. Well, by the night, you know, by Vegas, there was more money. And so we had a travel group that was holding on to like $50,000 of our money, but there was no contract. I mean, if the person we were working with at the travel company left, we didn't know if we'd ever see that money. So 99, 1999, we made the decision. And at that conference, we formalized into a 501c6. So we wrote bylaws. So instead of being kind of this loose organizing committee and whoever was hosting it, because the other piece that was happening is that people weren't going to be able to host if they had to be responding. I mean, their GMs were saying, you, what, you want to host this event? And if it loses money, my budget loses money. Right, right. That's a tough sell. Yeah. And, um, you know, and maybe auditor, you know, it's like, where did this stream of $100,000 come from and then disappear? You know, there's no ticket sales. So, so we formalized in 1999 at, at Anaheim at that conference and had a board of directors and officers and opened up a bank, our own bank account. And we haven't looked back since. Wow. And you were president. What years were you president? I, I was that first president. I was president from 99 to 2004 um, and okay. a little bit longer uh, because we had a first vice president and the vice president would go into my position, have a job change and unable to step up and nobody else was ready at that time. And I had moved in 2001 into uh, my first general manager position uh, as a general manager in Cedar Rapids Ice Arena. And I will tell you that if I did not have EAMC, I'm not sure if I would still be in the industry because, oh my God, hockey parents and figure skating parents. Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, I was, um, and, and I had, it was my first prank tenant. I had a USA gel team. So I was learning tenant relations. Um, it was a two sheet uh, rink. I was programming public ice. I was trying to build a speed skating uh, program. You know, and, and thank God I had EAMC to kind of keep me sane, to keep that marketing piece um, alive. You know, then a little bit later in 2004, to, I ended up going back over and then doing marketing and, and doing a little bit of booking for, not really booking, more marketing and overseeing the ticketing back over all three buildings in Cedar Rapids. And then, uh, yeah, so those times were crucial to m my sanity during that time I was running, I mean, I really, I mean, I would not be able to be a director at a building managing a budget had I not had that experience at the, at the ice arena. But I mean, by the time I was gone, I mean, I was done with fleece. I was done with boots. I was done with the smell of hockey. I mean, <laughs> there is a smell. There is a smell. The hockey smell still triggers. The of hockey. Yeah. <laughs> Those of us in hockey buildings. Hey, Paul, I recently saw a sizzle reel that BYP, Bill Young Productions, did for the Bryce Jordan Center that is killer. Mm, BYP? You mean the company that makes all the commercials for live events? Yeah, they do a ton of other stuff, too, like the website and signage for Smart Financial Center, sponsorship pitch videos for Coda, and, and did you know they do all the live shoots for V-Star, like Trolls Live? What? <laughs> yeah, uh, they also do video concert calendars for Nassau Coliseum. I had no idea BYP did so much. They do so much more than just tour spots. I mean, they've been creating videos for EAMC and even shoot some of the content for the conference as well. 
Whatever you need, BYP can do it. Visit them now at BYP.com. Uh, so, Tammy, you know, you, you're there and you're obviously involved with the board, but at the conference itself, for somebody who's listening and, and they're looking forward to the next time that we're in person at a conference or maybe they're at, an, at a different event, you know, what kind of things did you use to kind of make those connections? What was it about EAMC that, uh, you know, allowed you to kind of, or, you know, what was it about you that allowed you to make those connections that, that other people could try to put into practice down the road for themselves? Well, I, you know, I kind of go back to that first Ogden connection, I made some good friends just in those two day meetings. And we had so much in common, you know, especially in, in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Lincoln, Nebraska, and Ames, Iowa, and Cedar Rapids, Iowa, right? So we were, and you know, to the, to the extent, um, Minneapolis. So those, those connections really kind of, a, a, you know, allowed me to become more comfortable, more confident, because my degree is public relations in English, and I had done really no true marketing as far as I'd never done an ad buy when I came in. So I was learning a lot those first couple of years about some of the basics that, you know, people either maybe gone to school for or they came into the industry from radio or TV um, or from right. a family show and, and knew all of that. So that was very helpful. And the plan, you know, being involved on the planning committee, that's where I met, you know, a lot of people and, and, you know, you basically been in the trenches. I mean, we're all volunteers. And so to pull off, you know, a conference with 350 to 400 people, you know, and you're trying to make sure you're covering, you know, marketing, group sales, PR, right. You know, family shows, sponsorship. Markets, big markets. So yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Big markets, small markets, you know, now, you know, then we added, we, you know, we, at one time, you know, we're, we still have arena in our names. Theaters weren't coming, convention centers weren't coming. And so now we, we're certainly seeing a lot more theaters, I believe in the mix. Yep. And we're just good people. I think, I think everybody that comes to that conference, I mean, and certainly when I was president, you know, I served on the board a lot, you know, I ended up doing a stint as treasurer because we couldn't find a treasurer for a couple of years. I just remember throughout kind of my 20 years of board involvement, how important it was to the board that we were open and welcoming. I mean, we developed our, you know, we had a mentorship program that I believe still continues today. We're matching a veteran and a newcomer. So, you know, you know what to wear, you, you have a, person that you can contact and you can see before you get there. I mean, I still am in contact with a few of those people that, you know, ended up leaving the industry. Right. Um, and we met because I was their mentor that, that year that I went. So I think we've always been a conference of, you know, which is a little bit different from some of the other conferences. I mean, I'm in IV. I'm very involved in um, IBM now and and there's always, there's just a little bit of a different feel there, but I think IBM is very welcoming too, but EMC just kind of takes it up a notch. I, I mean, I just think we're all more open and it's just the personality. I mean, that's why we're in, we're not in finance, not to knock anybody in finance, you know, we're not in right. operation. <laughs> we are people, people. I mean, people, I mean, we want to, well, we want to engage. Yeah. And I, I think because of that, you, I mean, you hit on this with the mentorship, the sort of feeling I got, I remember in my first couple of years at the conference is that I was seeing these levels of people reaching back and helping the next generation. And so I think 
you have these people that are, you know, that decade before you and the decade before them that are all reaching back and they're not kind of like, I know what I'm doing. Don't come up and approach me. Everyone's approachable. Everyone's actively trying to help the people that are coming behind them. But then that means when you step up and you get in that second decade or whatever, it's then kind of worked into you naturally. It's almost like something like you don't, you're not even aware of it that you reach back and you're trying to help the generation behind you. And so it it's creates this beautiful sort of like synergy at the conference and in the industry where you have these generations that are constantly helping the people behind them that are helping the people behind them and so on and so forth. And then of course it creates this connectivity, like, like you were saying. So you have these people that are your mentors or people that, you know, I feel like were my mentors coming in. And then I have people that I feel like I'm mentoring that are behind me that I need to, you know, aspire to be like the people that mentored me, you know? So it's, you know, maybe like you said, because it's a marketing conference, we're all kind of people, people, maybe that's what sort of is the magic formula for it. I don't know, but it, it does make the conference so unique from every other conference. That's an industry conference. Well, and I think that the thing that's the hardest for me uh, when, when we're in person is that I have all these friends now through the years and you only get to see them one time a year. You know, when I was on the planning committee of the board, I got to see them twice a year. Right. But you only get to see them once a year. And I make an effort. And sometimes, you know, even though I've been in the industry, I'm, you know, people would probably would consider me a people person. I still get anxiety when I go to a table where I don't know anybody, but I make an effort to do that, especially when I was in leadership um, and on the planning committee, because I wanted those people to feel welcome. And I want to think that, you know, all, all you people on the stage, you know, who are up, you know, talking, you know, you're too important for us. And, and I, I felt that, um, you know, I, and, and we used to, uh, you know, do that. I mean, we'd say at the planning committee, okay, everybody, we can't all sit together at every meal, even see each other and it, it, you know, we want to catch up, but let's, you know, spread out and, and meet some people and welcome some people that, that um, haven't been there before. But, but that, that's really the hardest part is you just want to hang with people, you know, cause you haven't, you're, you know, you haven't yeah. seen them for so long, but then there are new people out there to meet and then you get to hang with them. You get to have one more person, you know, when you go to Austin. That's important, right? No, that's been, it's been so key for, for success. And, and for me in the industry is having those people that I can call up that I've met. But I'm so glad you mentioned that social anxiety because I, I live in that world, right? Where I, it, and, and there's something about EAMC that I kind of get out of that zone of, and especially this past year where you're so many people working from home or, or not having those human connections uh, that I think will make it challenging. But it's important to kind of get out of that, get out of your comfort zone and, and meet those new people because that to me is, is the, the true magic of the event and arena marketing conference. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that uh, discomfort because that's something I think a lot of a lot of folks feel. So when we talk about you know your personal history, I know a lot of people in this industry that are in the marketing side think I could do that GM job, right? So tell me about making that transition from you know marketing to being a, a GM. What do you what do you wish you would have known about that journey? Well, I think it's better not to know. Um, <laughs> You know, sometimes the unknown, it's like, you know, and you're already in it and then you're like, why did I think this was a good idea? But you're already in it. So (laughs) you don't really have a choice because that's your job, right? So you get to learn. So my situation was, is that I was in Cedar Rapids. Tyler was probably seven, maybe six or seven. And 
I kind of reached what I thought I was going to do at the building. You know, we had a great GM who had just taken over. She had worked her way up. Um, and so she had taken over, I think, in 98, 98 and um, really enjoyed working for her. And, and I was fortunate. I kept asking for more things to do. So I'd been trying to get ticketing under marketing, which for all of you out there, I think that is a key relationship in your building. I mean, they always talk about, you know, how operations and marketing kind of have this love-hate relationship sometimes. And sometimes that's the way it is with ticketing too, because they're holding information or they feel you're holding information. I just really think that, you know, the ticketing and marketing, you know, should be hand in hand. And so I've been asking for, you know, we had been going through kind of a series of of ticket office managers. So every time there was a change, I asked. So when I got to the building, it was under finance, which again, um, makes sense on the number side, but a lot of times back then, not now, but certainly in, you know, eighties and nineties, the yeah. ticket office where you went to get tickets, you know, that it was open yeah. specifically and you had all six windows open. Yeah, and you know, Those ticket lotteries, you got huge lines. Like, you did the yeah. management. Right. And so, and it was a lot of times the first person that your customers saw. So then when I was pitching uh, to have, I think the finance guy left. And so I was pitching to have it come under marketing. And instead uh, my GM at that time gave it to programming because she had heard me say, you know, it's really important that, you know, those relationships tie in and, and, you know, you, you need to know, you know, it's our first contact. And obviously one of the first things you do with the show is put it on sale and make sure all the information's correct. And so she gave it to pro. Yeah, I mean, I was heartbroken. I was like, I did this pitch and you gave it to somebody else. Right. So you later when the ticket office manager left and I finally got the ticket office under me and I loved my years overseeing the ticket office. You know, I could sell the ticket. You know, I mean, I think it just gave me a better understanding. So I was doing the marketing and spy was mostly the sponsorships. I still wasn't ad buying very much because we had a young woman who was there when I came in as the marketing assistant and she was really good at that. And so she's actually the one that taught me ad buying was a marketing assistant when I became director of marketing. And I really focused on sponsorships. I, I did the naming rights deal for the building in 1999. And so I was doing all the PR, uh, the talking in front of the camera. Uh, and uh, that's another story I'll tell in a little bit that opportunity. So I took that opportunity. So, you know, I'm learning more. I'm trying to, you know, learn more uh, because we're a small building and, you know, you're MOD. So you really do learn more about front of house, you know, some back of house stuff I was learning. And some of that was just because I ended up being that I was a spokesperson too. So I had to go before I go talk about something, I go learn about it. So it got to be, you know, 2000, 2001, and I was really wanting more. I mean, I was feeling, you know, like, do we move out? So, you know, I looked at a couple jobs outside of Iowa, and Mike was still a sports writer. Um, and in Cedar Rapids, we had his mom and dad, his younger brother and sister-in-law, who had, I think, three kids at that time, maybe four, probably had the four kids at that time. And um, my mom was only, you know, my mom, my dad was still alive then. So there was, you know, they were two hours away. My brother ended up moving to Cedar Rapids. And we just decided, I mean, I was starting to look around. And I remember, you know, asking for a day off 
And then my GM going, oh, are you going to do something fun? And I was leaving town to go fly to do an interview. And I could not, I was just like, I could never lie to her. She was such a good boss. You couldn't, you know, you couldn't even. Certain people, yep, absolutely. I guess lie is the wrong word. You couldn't uh, redirect, right? She asked you a question. (laughs) I couldn't redirect my answer. I couldn't just say, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm just sending the demo, right? Visiting this other city. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, I'm just flying down to, you know. Uh, So I went to the interview. I got the offer. And at the end of the day, I mean, Sharon did come in and say, I don't have anything for you now, but there is something coming up. And if you can just wait. And even if she hadn't said that, I'm not sure I would have left simply because Ty was at an age that it was so much easier to drive him to grandma's and not feel guilty about the hours I was working or give him over to his cousins and spend time with them that if we had moved to another community without family or without kind of that backstop of, you know, with Mike and I both working. So, I mean, that was probably one of those times where it's like, you know what, I'm going to make a decision between the career and the family and, and the, and the opportunity would have been great. And I would have had the opportunity, I think, at that building. I mean, when they talked to me about, they saw me as a GM someday. So, you know, I go in as a marketing person, but they would be giving me these skill sets to, you know, be a GM. And, you know, and even at that time, I wasn't sure that's what I wanted, but I knew I needed more than what I was doing. And uh, in three months, Sharon came back and said, we got a deal done. We're going to take over the ice arena and we want you to go out there and run it. And I think she actually went to the city. She wanted to keep, I mean, you know, again, I, she, I consider her one of my mentors and she, you know, knew how important family was. She had two kids too. And, um, knew the struggle I was having as a mom. And she, I think went to the city cause the hockey team was running it then after the first management company only lasted nine months. It was in a mess. I think the city had approached her like six months before. And she said, I'm not touching that with 10 foot pole. And she <laughs> went out on the limb and said, I think we can do it. I'm going to put Tammy out there. <laughs> so, yeah. She's like, Hey, remember so yeah. that thing I wouldn't touch. I have a crazy idea. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I think we talked about it as a team and it's like, Oh, I, you know, I'm just not sure that, you know, none of us know ice. Right. And at the end of the day, it probably took a marketing person to, make it all happen because we could see outside, you know, we could see, okay, why don't we try this or let's do this. Right. I mean, so sometimes, I mean, operations people make great GMs too, but if any of you are interesting, you have the skill set, you can absolutely do it. You do need to know how to budget and forecast. And so, and you're probably already doing that in your marketing show budgets. It's just a bigger, you know, it's just a bigger picture. Right. And so literally when I worked at the ice arena, I mean, I went and got certified as an ice arena manager during that time frame that I was there for the five years I was there. I learned about dehumidification systems. You know, I drove the Olympia. I didn't drive it very often because I tended to drive too fast (laughs) and you can't hit a wall. You should not hit walls when you're in there. And there's really not a whole lot of give. There's not a curb you can hit before you take out the glass. Just saying. So, um, (laughs) Uh, you know, I learned, you know, I learned about all different kinds of things there. Now I learned about marsh pegs and brine line 
machines and ice temps and don't ask me any of that now because that's all gone now because I don't have room for everything. But it really was a great experience. As even though I knew when I hit 2004, 2005, I needed to get out of that. I mean, it was sucking the life out of me, really. So sure. So through that experience, obviously, you got more involved with uh, IAVM. And for folks who, who maybe not be familiar, uh, the International Association of Venue Managers. For people who don't know, give us the quick pitch on, on what IAVM is and how that, that conference also helped you out. And how you can be a big part of you. Obviously, you were chair of the board. Right. So the International Association of Venue Managers is an international association of 7,000 members. 70, I think we were at 7,600 right before the pandemic hit. And so members in uh, North America, you know, Canada, United States, Mexico, big group in Australia, uh, New Zealand, um, some uh, Asian, a few in a European country. So a little bit like the makeup, you know, EMC, we, we had Canadian, we had some people coming over from Europe for a while because they were all in buildings, you know, Germany and, sure. and England were coming over and we had, you know, lots of Canadian members, of course, but I got tapped on the shoulder, uh, Kind of later. I mean, I joined IBM when I became a manager in 2001, but really didn't get active until about 2006, 2007, when you know I was kind of done. I was done in the leadership in the uh, board positions at EAMC, and came up to the region leadership, and you know got tapped on the shoulder to be treasurer because by that time I knew how to you know I still can't do formulas very well, but I know who to ask. But I can run a spreadsheet. <laughs> and I was like, you really want the marketing person to be treasurer? But okay, uh, you know, I'm kind of, I mean, by that time I was a GM, but everybody knew I came up on the marketing side. And, and so, yeah, I mean, through the years, I just served on committees. And, but, but in 2005, when I left the ice arena, I went to work corporately. And so I did a lot of traveling. So I started as the uh, national director of marketing. And I was helping all the buildings with their marketing. And, and corporately, we were trying to build our portfolio. So I was doing some business development, you know, and, and marketing. Um, and then in 07, I was named a vice president and then started overseeing buildings. That was a good time for me to be involved in IBM. It was, I started traveling a lot and it was hard to be involved. I've always, you know, I talked a little bit earlier about there's always been service in my background. And Ty was by this time in middle school or high school. So, you know, my PTA days were pretty much over. You know, I've been the PTA president, you know, his Of course you were. Of course you were. But I was on the city PTA and state PTA, you know, and, <laughs> and I was, you know, I was still doing Go Red for Women. You know, I was still doing a lot of committee work locally. Well, then I wasn't in town anymore. Right. I mean, it was hard when you were, you know, I'm traveling 200 days a year. And when I'm home, I'm really focused on going to Ty's show choir events or his baseball games, not his golf games. I went to one golf game. He was embarrassed that Mike and I followed around his foursome and we never went back uh, to his <laughs> He was like, I'm not having my parents follow me around on the holes, right? So then IBM kind of, um, and they didn't have a whole lot of marketing people in IBM at the time. IBM had just kind of made that change, I think, and maybe the late 90s, early 2000s, because when IBM first started, it could only be the top two people in the organization. Their membership was only open to that. Sometime, and it might have been even earlier, it might have been in the 80s or 90s that, um, you know, they, they made that switch and opened it up to venue professionals at any level. And honestly, there weren't a whole lot of women in, uh, and not a whole lot of marketing 
there were probably more women than there were marketing people at that point in IBM. So um, yeah, so I got tapped on the shoulder and I worked my way up and and again, I left the corporate world in 2015. So I became eligible to become the, the second vice chair in 2011 after your board term is done. So there's a number of things. You have to be in the industry so many years. You have to be, you know, number two position or higher. Um, you have to um, have already completed a board term, you know, before you can uh, apply for second vice chair or be eligible. So I think I became eligible in like 2011, 2012. But those were the years, too, I was working in Super Bowl. And so I was leaving in January for two to three weeks to work the Super Bowl. You know, I was prepping a couple months before, uh, so I didn't really have time. And I wasn't really in a building. And so when in 15, when I came back to the venue side to come off the road, my dad had passed, my grand grandmother had passed, and I just felt it was time for me to be off the road. And this great opportunity to get back into a venue. And in reality, I miss, I miss working with people every day. I mean, I was working with different people every day, but I'd go into markets, you know, we talk about ideas, but you know, I, I had probably 10 or 12 contracting minutes, you know, I was worried about 10 or 12 budgets. I was, you know, going to city council meetings in markets I didn't live in. I mean, it was, a, I, I really enjoyed those times. I learned a lot, but I really wanted to get back to a venue and stay in one place. And Ames opened up, we won the contract, and I loved it. I mean, I loved being back in a building. And then I think it must have been in 2017, you know, I got a couple of people calling saying, hey, we'd really like for you to apply for this position and for the second vice chair. And so, you know, and by that time, I mean, I had done the, you know, I served a lot of years at EAMC after I was done with uh, the executive committee leadership as a site selection chair because my background is hotels and CVB. So I have that background. I mean, I was writing hotel contracts. And so uh, on the IBM side, I was the education chair for the uh, Venue Connect for five or six years. So um, I was kind of feeding that kind of meeting planning bug that I have too. And so that's where I was doing my volunteer work. And so, yeah, so then in 17, I had the opportunity to apply and I did. I was being second vice chair. And so it's a four year commitment. And my term as chair ended in July of 2020. And so I'm in my year as past chair. Um, and then, as you know, the last four or five, five months of my chairmanship, you know, COVID hit and our industry changed dramatically and yeah. quickly. Right. I mean, I think we all thought we were recession proof, which we were recession proof. I mean, even in 2008 and 2009, shows were still going on, but the pandemic just shut everything down. I mean, just yeah. like that. I specifically remember uh, you mentioned like when you were kind of bridging this gap of being still involved with the EAMC, also involved with IVM, and where you were working at the, you know, the Ogle Bay event in West Virginia, and it would, kind of slightly overlap with the AMC or just ever so slightly. And you would, <laughs> I remember you would be like there for a week, which was wild because I would have some of my coworkers who were on the convention side there and they would be like, Hey, I met someone named Tammy. She said she knows you. I was like, Oh yeah, Tammy Coolback. And then literally, you know, a day or two later, you would fly out to Vancouver from West Virginia and you would be on this run of like two or three weeks bouncing between West Virginia and Vancouver from, you know, IAVM to EAMC. And it was, I was always just marveled at, you know, your ability to kind of roll from one into the next and make it work. 
Right. And, and that, thanks for bringing that up because um, I, I did not attend venue management school because EAMC always overlapped and EAMC was very important to me. So like early on, like in maybe 04, 05, they didn't overlap. And it's like, oh, for those two years, I can go, right? Because they're not going to overlap. Um, I can go those two years. And then, I, you know, I don't know if I couldn't get in because I think our building didn't have the money to send me. I mean, it was like, well, you can go to EAMC or you can go to venue management school, but you can't do both. So it's like, okay, well, there's... <laughs> There's really no discussion at that point. Then in 2011, I got tapped on the shoulder to actually go teach in the in the Graduate Institute um, at Ogilvy on communications because again, they didn't have a whole lot of choices for marketing people. So I took that opportunity. And Vancouver is very funny. I mean, I was just uh, talking to Brandon and my and Tyler about that trip. So my birthday is in early June and. Typically, I'm with 350 of my closest friends, whether it's at EAMC or at venue management school. Most recently, EAMC has been a little bit later, uh, but that Vancouver trip is I left early from venue management school because I had, I think I maybe was the person who was giving Hall of Fame that, you know, one of the, yeah, I think we, that's right. I think from Lafayette, I think we were inducting her and she had chosen me to give her the award. And so I left Pittsburgh, Wheeling, West Virginia, to fly to Pittsburgh on my birthday. So I celebrated my birthday on that flight because, you know, I don't know if I told somebody or, right? So, or, or maybe it was at breakfast. I think I left maybe after lunch. So I got sang to at lunch in Wheeling got on the plane, got to Minneapolis. Somebody had known, I was flying Delta a lot. So somebody knew it was my birthday. So I got champagne on that flight. So in central time zone. And then I made it to Vancouver and I was like to the Uber driver, taxi cab driver, like you have to get me there before midnight because a bunch of you were waiting in yeah, the hotel, the hotel bar. bar. We could have my, our Bailey's and celebrate my birthday. And yeah, I I got Bailey's and cream. We had them ready to roll for you. We probably had a, a few before you got there too. <laughs> Um, just to, you know, make sure like, you know, you want to make sure the, you know, it's all good before, you know, we hand them off to you. But yeah, I specifically remember being at the hotel bar and we were getting like live updates from you. We're like, she's going to get here. Her, her flight was delayed slightly or something. And then it was like, you got in and we're like, she's landed. And it's, you know, it's like midnight at this point. We're all like, all right, we're hanging out. We're waiting. But it was, yeah. it was just this gauntlet of a day for you, which was so, you know, wild. And that is the beauty of EMC is those types of friendships, right? That we've developed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you taking us on this, this odyssey of your career. Let's just touch a little bit on, on, you know, what you're doing now for folks who aren't familiar with, you know, Iowa State Center or Stevens Auditorium. Tell us a little about where, where you're at today. Or not today, you're in Arizona, but, you know, with the career. Sure. So um, I uh, am executive director of Stevens Auditorium. It's a 2600 seat theater uh, on the campus of Iowa State University. So we do all kinds of things. We do about 200 events a year, a mix of university events, but mostly uh, we do a series. So I, um, we, where we take 100% of the risk, uh, which is interesting because not a whole lot of buildings get to do that. So I have a, a, a Stevens Performing Arts Fund, so I'm also fundraising, chief fundraiser now, especially in the pandemic, because we went from 24 staff and we're down to seven. 
and we do a bunch of contemporary shows too. I mean, I was looking, we're working on our Shuttered Venues grant. And so I was looking at what January, February, March looked like in 2020. And we had done Color Purple, Dave Chappelle, Tedeschi Trucks Band, Russian National Ballet, Waitress, and a symphony, I think. I mean, we were, we were going to have our best year ever. We had had a really good October, November, December of 2019 um, before we were moving into 2020. We do all sorts of events. I mean, we started our own singer-songwriter uh, cafe uh, showcase uh, patterned after the Bluebird. So we moved it outside during the pandemic. Prior to uh, July 1st of last year, I was also overseeing the convention at the conference center and a smaller theater, uh, but now athletics has taken that. I think they're going to reopen the conference center as maybe a kind of a donor opportunities for the basketball arena. But um, yeah, so uh, I do a little bit of everything now, especially, uh, you know, I don't have an outreach person, a development person. Uh, full-time marketing person um, but we're you know I'm hopeful that once we get busy we'll hire at least two positions back but we're you know seven of us are doing you know everything and, and we've been doing events since July so I would never really shut down now when I say events they're dance competitions or they're for a long time our capacity was only 200 seats out of the 2600 and now we're we just went to a thousand uh, at the end of March, we had been at 500 in January and February, and now we're up to a thousand. At this point, the campus is opening up uh, to full enrollment and 100% capacity everywhere. But I, you know, masks will probably be required. I'm hopeful. I'm probably still going to require masks through the fall in our sure. in our. And before we let you go, I like to hit uh, all our guests up with a little fast five. We ask uh, five quick questions and just looking for for your instant response here. So start things off at your very first concert. My very first concert was Dolly Parton and Porter Wagner when I was six years old at Old West Midfreshman. Wow. Oh, that's amazing. That's a great one. How about your favorite concert other than that one? <laughs> oh, um. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my EMC ones in 2005 in Denver. Uh, I made my first trip to Red Rocks. Not that I've only had a second trip. So uh, we did Allison Krauss in the Union Station with uh, warm up by Goo Goo Dolls, and I was with 300 of my closest friends. And it was June 5th. My birthday was the next day, and I remember sitting there in that majestic place. And I love Allison Krauss, and I mean it was magical, but. Then I remember in 2013, Paul and I, uh, we didn't sit together, but we were at the Mumford and Sons at that. Oh, yeah. yeah, Circuit of the Americas, right? Yeah. Right. And and that was my first Mumford and Sons concert. And I'd seen them a couple times since, but that was magical. And then I became a fan of Tedeschi Trucks Band when I saw them at the planning committee meeting at the Greek Theater. Again, my, you know, my trip. They were so good. And oh, yeah, Gary opened, and we came. I mean, I came home from that trip, and I got a call about Tedeschi Trucks, and I'm like, I don't care what it takes. I mean, I'm going to find a way to get them here. And we had them four out of five years. They were one of the one of the last bands we played uh, in Stevens. Amazing. It was like January 26, 2020. Nice. So I'm sorry, more than one, but yeah, that's all right. That's good. That's good stuff. How about your favorite city to vacation in? Oh gosh, I can't. Yeah. Uh, every every city's uh, different. 
and I really like them all. I, I love Boston. I, lo I mean, we do a lot of national parks. Um, so that's really, that, that really is. How about your dream vacation? Someplace you haven't been yet that's on the, the, the Tammy Kulbeck bucket list. Uh, there are two. So I, uh, Alaska will be my 50th state. Uh, and when I do it, I want to do, you know, like the three week, I want to make sure I go to Denali and spend a couple of oh, days man. there. Um, yeah. And then Australia is on that list. And I was supposed to teach at their management school in November of 2020. They're doing a hybrid in November of 2021. So I'm hopeful in November of 2022, I will be going to Australia to teach a week at their venue management school. And then I'm going to take another week or two to go see all of my IBM friends. Do you need someone to uh, carry your luggage for you yes. or, you know, help wrangle a kangaroo or something? Yeah. yeah. I think Mike and Ty have both uh, signed up for that. <laughs> uh, last question for you. Uh, you get your own TV show where uh, the cameras follow you and the family around. And uh, what is the theme song to that TV show? What is the theme song to the Tammy Kulbeck show? Any of you who know me well would think I would choose Jesse's Girl because we usually play Jesse's Girl by Rick Springfield. Most of you haven't been born when Jesse's Girl came out in 1901. But I think now I would I would probably do You'll Never Walk Alone. I think that would be a good one. And, and perhaps Hold On, if I had a pandemic year where I could just do a pandemic theme song, it would be Hold On by Wilson Phillips. <laughs> Great choices. Tammy, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you for uh, walking along with us on, uh, on your, your odyssey and your career. It was so great to hear some of these stories. Uh, any plugs you want to put out there for uh, if somebody wants to get in touch with you or, or uh, follow your venues on social media, anything you want to throw out? Yeah, um, I am uh, at, uh, it's, I don't know, Tammy Clements and Cool Buck on Facebook. You can find me there. My email is tcool at iestate.edu. Yeah, tcool, T-K-O-O-L at iestate.edu. Fun story about that email is that coolback at iestate.edu was already taken by my son because uh, he was a student when I got there. And so I was like, oh, I'll just kind of buy it from him and then realized that I'd be getting all of his homework assignments and that would maybe be <laughs> an excuse for needing a super senior year. And so we came up with tcool. So <laughs> I like it. Very nice. Uh, well, I appreciate your time again, and, and I want to thank everybody for listening to today's episode of Adventures in Venueland. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews so you can help others find us. Until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing Strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.